The book of Acts, of course, has got much narrative. It's the only history book that we have in the Bible. And we see it begins in Jerusalem and it ends up in Rome. And actually it's a picture or it's a recording of how that the church got started and how that it had to escape the bonds of uh, Judaism and go from the uh, primarily to, from the Jew to the Gentile. And we see the personages, whether it's Peter or the, or the apostles or John, and how that the great missionaries, uh, missionary effort that happened, the churches that were started. Uh, but the, the last, uh, from chapters 21 on, we see that over a, a third of it is given to Paul going from Jerusalem to Rome. And we see the narrative and how that the Gospels, uh, through the providence of God, reached Rome. And of course, Rome was, all roads led to Rome, and it was one of the major steps of Christianity, at least for the next three or four centuries, for the Gospel to get out around the world, both by sea as well as by road. And so we see now, as we look at this uh, passage, we, of course, it's a narrative. And, but all scripture is interconnected. And one of the most difficult things I was mentioning in Sunday school to, uh, with narratives is that uh, there's always all kinds of doctrine and scriptural principles within the narrative. And so if you get on the narrative, then you forget about the, um, excuse me, if you get on the narrative, then you could overlook the doctrine. Or if you can go to the doctrine, then you could bore people to death and uh, leave out the, the narrative. And so um, as we look at this, we want to try to do both and try to, make, to see what the Lord is doing. And of course, as we go back to chapter 24 and chapter 23, actually, that uh, Paul finally got to Rome. And as he was in Rome, oh, excuse me, Paul got back to Jerusalem and he was looking forward so much to preach to his people. And yet the Asian Jews came and they caused a riot and he had to be, uh, had to be, rescued by the Roman soldiers. And of course, Claudius Lysias was uh, the commander there. And they took him to, uh, to Caesarea, which was the seat of power where the uh, Roman magistrates would, uh, would govern from. It was right there on the coast, named after Caesar. And uh, then, of course, and these uh, magistrates, of course, one of them was Pontius Pilate. And uh, then now several people later, we have, we've been introduced to Felix. And we know that he was married to a very wicked woman named Drusilla, who was the offspring of the Herods. And all the horrible things that was going on in that family with the incest and everything that was going on. They knew the scriptures, and we'll see that again. And yet they lived in absolutely horrible sin. As much, and I've said last week how that it seems like the church age is in the book has bookends now. Uh, we see that the church came out of all this corruption, and now it seems like we're going back right back into the mythology and the corruption of those days, the incest, the child mutilations, all the things that we're seeing today were very prevalent back in this time. And we even see it among the governors, uh, the, the government, as well as the court systems. 
And the folks, uh, really, people are people. And if the people have a conscience for God, they're going to have a sense for what's right or wrong. But if they have no conscience of God, then the gutter's the limit. And we see that the, as uh, one of the politicians years ago said, that we keep defining, defining deviancy downward. Well, we're just about as down as we can get. In fact, uh, we are no longer calling it, uh, we are not, we're not calling child molestation. We're not calling it that anymore. We're calling it, uh, uh, was it, ch- boy, I just lost the term, but it just, it's repulsive. But the idea that uh, now uh, we are, um, child, help somebody know what it is. Anyway, it's the idea uh, now that we are attracted to children. And so now, uh, if you are attracted to children, it's no longer deviancy or it's not even sin. It's just uh, that's your life. That's the way you were born. It was in your genes or whatever else. Folks, that is, that is sick. We're living in a sin-sick society. When you have doctors and lawyers that are saying that a kid at three or four years old can have his entire life body mutilated because he thinks, well, why would he think that other than somebody's putting it in his, well, there again, I'm getting off, but you understand. But this was what was going on back in, uh, in Caesar's day. I mean, you go to those temples and with all the, I mean, the slaves and then the, the child trafficking and just on and on you can go. That I mean, everything that is true today was sponsored back then, and unfortunately, folks, that's what's happening today. Is our government is sponsoring it? How sad that we're living in those type days, and yet it's just the bookends of uh, the church age. And the Lord says, when the Lord comes. That men are going to be waxing worse and worse, and we're seeing it going right back into the world in which they came. And of course, Felix was a proconsul. He held he held the uh, court in uh, in Caesarea, and the Jewish leaders came there. And remember, Tertullus uh, leveled charges against the Lord as a rebel, or Paul against as a rebel rouser, and so forth. And uh, Felix could find no wrong with um, with Paul. And it's interesting in these proconsuls, whether it's Pontius Pilate or Felix or Festus, they kept wanting to do the Jews a favor to the detriment. They would even allow someone to go to the cross or go to jail and stay in jail for years rather than to let them go because, they're, because they find no fault in them. Isn't it? They knew they were innocent, and yet politically they were willing to destroy a person's life. Does that sound familiar today? And it's more politics than it is a rule of law. And so these men were just as corrupt as they are today. And we see that the willing to, the Jews did a favor. They kept Paul in prison. And during this time, Paul reasoned with Felix and his wife, Drusilla. And remember, we talked about those two, the jet-set couple, the young, beautiful Drusilla. And by this time, she'd already been married to a couple of people. And uh, she'd be married to a couple more by the, before she was uh, before she died. And, uh, we, but we see that they reasoned, uh, he talked with them about, and it's very interesting, this corrupt couple, when he would get with them, he would talk to them about righteousness. Now you can imagine, here they are, and they're living in sin, and yet he's talking to them about righteousness. He's talking to them about self-control and talking to them about 
judgment to come. Well, that's pretty rough stuff with a magistrate that has power over life and death, and you're telling them they're a sinner, isn't it? But yet he reasoned with them. He talked with them as kindly as he could, but he says, folks, we're all sinners. And, what, and he, he probably named the sin. Now, you've got to realize, Drusilla's uh, great uncle, uh, whenever John the Baptist preached against his sin about uh, robbing his brother of his wife, then uh, what, what happened to John the Baptist? His head was cut off. And so this was in the family. And so that was all chapter 23 and chapter 24. And then Felix left, and he left a mess behind, and he left Paul in prison, and we saw uh, Festus come along. And again, we see that uh, the Jews came up, and they threw everything they could at Paul. And Festus again uh, demurred, and he wasn't sure what to do. And willing to do the Jews a favor, he even asked Paul if he would go back to Rome, or go back to Jerusalem. And of course, Paul said, uh, of course, he knew that if he went back to Jerusalem, he wouldn't make it, or he wouldn't come out alive anyway. And so he, as a Roman citizen, appealed to Caesar, which was the Supreme Court. And so he was now to Caesar, you will go. But now Festus has a problem. Why, how do I send this man who has appealed in, from, in my court to Caesar without any charges? And that's what brings us to now another wicked couple that we see, and that is Agrippa. And this would be Agrippa. This would be the great-grandson of Herod the Great. And, of course, then you had after Herod the Great, who, of course, killed uh, the children and tried to kill the Lord Jesus, but he killed all the children under two years old. Very wicked man. He had four kids, and that's one reason you'll see in the book of Luke, you'll talk about the Tetrarchs. A Tetrarch was a fourth of a kingdom. And so these, uh, these different uh, children uh, had their different uh, kingdoms. And uh, then they all started intermarrying with one another. And oh, just what a wicked mess it was. And by the time that you get to uh, uh, Agrippa II, now what happens here is you have um, Agrippa, uh, uh, Herod, uh, uh, Herod Agrippa, who was the one that put Paul to de- uh, put to John the Baptist to death. Then you have Antipas who came along, and of course he put James to death. And also, remember, he was the one that with the, whenever the, the sun shined on his garments, it looked like, uh, you know, bright, and they called him a god, and God struck him down right there on the spot. And now you have uh, Agrippa II coming along, and he, Bernice, and Drusilla are brother sisters. And yet he is married now to Bernice. Folks, that's getting pretty rough, isn't it? We're talking about spiritual wickedness in high, high places. And so that's what Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. And you couldn't get any more higher than where Paul was except in Rome. And this is one, this sets up now that great confrontation, one of those great confrontations like we see in Scripture with Elijah that uh, as he goes before Ahab, whether the three Hebrew children, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, as they go before the very powerful Nebuchadnezzar, or here you have this little bald-headed Jew who is coming in chains with prison garb, and now he is going to be talking to uh, to these people, 
And we, we pick up now in chapter 25 when Festus has come and he, said, he says uh, to Festus, who's a Roman, and he doesn't know a whole lot about the Jewish culture. So he calls uh, Agrippa and Bernice to tell him, and they had grown up around it. They knew a lot about the Jews. They were Idumeans. Now to the Jew, they knew that was an Old Testament Moabite. But what happened was there was a guy named Judas Maccabeus. In fact, if uh, you have a Catholic Bible, you'll see there's, a, 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 there's four books of Maccabees here. Uh, they are not inspired, but they do. The first book, especially, has uh, a great deal of history in it. And it talks about Judas Maccabeus, which can be verified, actually helped throw off Antiochus, uh, who was desecrated that temple that was rebuilt by uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. And, uh, but, and, but the, the, the Moabites had moved into the, the southern part of Judah at that time. And Maccabeus became a very powerful chieftain for the Israelites. And he told the Moabites that uh, if you don't convert to Judaism, then you're going to get killed. And so they all, committed, they all converted to Judaism, much like uh, the Roman Empire uh, converted to Christianity under Constantine. They were not Christian, but you know, when the government tells you to do something, that's when the church and the state really get messed up. And so we see that uh, these Edomians, to the Jews, they knew they weren't Jews, but to the Romans, they were Jews. And that's the reason Festus and Pilate and all these guys had so much trouble with them, because, <clears throat> hey, you Jews, don't you get along? And he's looking at Fest- he's looking at. Uh, uh, Agrippa and Bernice as Jews. Now, being from that area, they would know a lot about their, their father and about, uh, about John the Baptist and all the rest. They had heard the gospel over and over again, and yet they were very wicked. But we notice now he, he gets with them in the first part of chapter 25, and he tells them, you know, I've made this, they, he's appealed to Caesar, and I don't have a foggy idea, foggiest idea of what to do with him now. Can you fill me in and help me maybe to bring charges against the guy so I could send him and save a little face because they're going to think I'm an idiot by sending this guy to Rome without any charges, and he's appealed to the Supreme Court. And so he calls them in. And so we see, they said tomorrow, at verse uh, chapter 25, um, or chapter 25, verse 20, the last part of verse 22. But then on the, the verse 23 now of chapter 25, he says, So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp. Now here they would be in their royal purple outfits. And you can imagine Bernice was dressed to the nines. I mean, oh, just all, oh, I mean, they, they had, I mean, these people knew how to put on a show. They were corrupt as the devil inside, but they knew how to put on a show. It's pretty familiar today, isn't it? Every time you hear about somebody, boy, they got a lot of glamour, but then you find out about their lives and they're, they're low. But here you have Bernice and uh, Agrippa. They came with great pomp and they entered the auditorium with the commanders. You can imagine those, uh, those top brass of the Roman army with all their medals, all their, uh, their paraphernalia, paraphernalia that they had, and prominent men of the city. And you can imagine them all dressed up because they're before the, 
the queen and king, uh, and at Festus' command, they brought in Paul. Now, something about kings and queens that I just uh, heard. Uh, you know, whenever a king uh, comes in, everybody rises. When he sits down, everybody sits down. When he rises up. Uh, anybody ever see one of those movies about the Queen Elizabeth? And whenever she picked up her fork, everybody picks up her fork. Whenever she puts down her fork, everybody. But I would hate to have to eat like that, wouldn't you? When she stands, she's through, everybody's through. When she, you know, so this would have been the way it was here with these two people. And, of course, Festus wanting to appease the Jews and everything. He's doing the same thing with them. And he's, you know, um, he's playing the part. And so Festus and so Agrippa and, and Bernice, they're the star show. But then you have this little Jew walking in. And this is the setting that we're getting to. You have uh, this little Jew in prison garb, bald-headed, in chains, and he's standing before these people. Oh, what a, what a clash. And so it looks like the world is, has all the power. And yet we see that the Lord is going to use one of the most powerful messages in all the Bible in this situation. And we're going to see that it shakes them to their very foundations. Folks, it's much like today. Who are we against the federal government? Who are we against the school systems? Who are we against the judiciary? Who are we against our neighbors who curse us? Who are we against just anybody today? We're just a little church. And yet, can God use us as they use Paul? Now, it looks like, I mean, this situation, it looks like Paul's going to be the loser. I mean, this little guy up here, and now he's going to preach to all these people. Oh, my. What would I do if I had the opportunity to preach in Washington, D.C. to all the people, that uh, the government officials? I know that when Jimmy Carter went there as a Baptist uh, Sunday school teacher, he went in and he talked to the State Department. He said, now I want all you people who are living together, I want you to get married. They laughed him off the stage, and he said, I was just kidding. Now, folks, uh, Paul didn't do that. And I hope I wouldn't either. I hope I would preach on righteousness, on self-control, and judgment to come. That's what, the, that's what Washington needs to hear, isn't it? That's what Springfield needs to hear. That's what uh, downtown uh, Belvedere needs to hear. City Hall is righteousness of God. And self-control is turning from our ways to God's way. In fact, we see through this passage, it's called the way. Christianity is called the way. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the way. Not our way, but his way. And so self-control, and folks, one day you're going to stand before God. I like whenever, well, I don't believe that. One day you will. <laughs> That's the answer that we have, the hope that lies within us. One day we're going to stand before the Lord. And so we see the assembly comes in, and there, uh, <clears throat> and many of the people, the Jews, they're crying out in verse 24. He's not fit to live any longer. Put him to death. And he's, just, and then he's telling them this. And he says, uh, uh, I have nothing, no certain thing to write 
to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that you may, in your examination, has taken place that I may have something. Hey, give me something to write for this guy. I don't have the foggiest idea. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges. Then Agrippa said to Paul, he permitted him to, he, he, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. Now this is, shows us, and all through this shows us that Luke is there. And just the whole idea of, of here this little guy is, and he stretches out his hand to the people as if, okay, listen to me, I am the voice of authority. I mean, and that's defying the very powers that be. And he stretches out his hand, and he is now saying, I'm ready to speak. He says, I'm myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert. And notice how he builds him up. And he's talking to Agrippa and to Bernice here, not to Festus. Festus doesn't have an idea of what Christianity truly is. Or, and he says, especially because you're an expert in all the customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. So Festus, let me lay out for you the situation. Now he's going to give him three main points. In verses 1 through 8, he says, I was a strict Pharisee. He says, my, my manner of life from my youth being beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem. All the Jews know. I was very well known. They knew from the first. I was well educated. I went to the school of Gamaliel. I was one of the graduate students there. And so uh, they knew me from the first. It were, uh, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of the, the religion, I was a Pharisee. And they all knew this. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise of God of our fathers. Uh, This promise to the 12 tribes. I believe the Old Testament. I believe everything that God said about the Old Testament. For this hope, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why uh, uh, Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises from the dead? Boy, there's the bone of contention. I mean, as Pharisees, we, were, we, we believed the Old Testament. We believed what Job says, if a man dies, will he live again? And of course, the answer is yes. We believe in the resurrection. We believe that God raised Elijah up into heaven. We believe all that. Now, the Sadducees, as we said, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the Old Testament miracles. They really weren't Bible believers. Uh, there's a hope that many of the Pharisees might have been saved. We know that the Pharisee named Nicodemus was very concerned. So, but the Sadducees had to have a complete change of heart because they didn't even really believe in the Old Testament. They were liberals. And so we see that uh, they says, I believe all this, just like so many of these brethren who are screaming about me today, they believe it also. So why, and, and, uh, and you've been around this, your great-granddaddy heard about the Lord Jesus. In fact, he tried to kill him. Your uncles and your, your dad 
They knew about it. They knew about the apostles. They knew about Pentecost. They knew all these things. They heard the gospel time and time again. And of course, remember, there and Felix and even John the Baptist talked to uh, uh, Herod uh, while he was in prison. So they heard these things. And yet, it's interesting, folks, when people hear the gospel and they hear it directly and they turn away their sins, it's just like that. the, <clears throat> the Lord talks about the demon. The demon comes into the house and then uh, he is chased away, but the Holy Spirit doesn't replace him. So what happened? What does the Lord say? That seven demons come in and in place. Folks, re- repentance without filling of the Holy Spirit is, is just, answer, or excuse me, uh, hearing the gospel and having a religious experience without having the possession of the Holy Spirit in your life. Many times people who do that, you'll say, well, you'll say wait a minute, those people live worse than, than the people that never accepted the Lord in the first place. Were they saved in the first place? Because after all, they had a chance to get saved and yet their hearts weren't right and now they're living worse. They might have been a member of Calvary Baptist Church. They may have been whatever. They may have been a preacher. And yet, because they did not truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they turned away from the Lord or rejected the Lord, then their sins became worse than before. I greatly fear many kids that have gone to Christian schools today and again, they heard the gospel over and over again. But now many of them have rejected it. They've turned away from God. And oh, I'm concerned. They've had all the chances in the world, much like the, like the Agrippas did. And yet now they're worse off than the average person. How sad to see that. And so Agrippa, you've known all this. You've heard that. And so we see in verses 1 through 8, he says, I was one of you. I mean, you, we've heard all these things. And so... Uh, he says, uh, as a result of that, and now in verses 9 through 11 in your notes, you'll see that he says, uh, as a Pharisee, now I believe in the resurrection of the dead, but also I was, a per- I was a fanatical persecutor of this new way. I went about and I had uh, <clears throat> I shut them in prison and I received authority by... The, even the priests and many of those priests that you know, you, they gave me the authority to throw people in jail and even vote as a member of the Sanhedrin to have them killed. And some of you might even remember Stephen. I was there and I was one of the ones who condemned him of his, uh, condemned him to die. I, if anybody was a devout Jew, I was. And so he's explaining this to him. But then he says in verses 12 through 20 through uh, uh, 23, or actually we'll see that it's broken down a little bit here. But he says that, uh, but then I met Jesus and I saw the light. And he says uh, in verse 12, he says, while thus occupied, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission of the high chief priest. on the, And at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we were all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, 
saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice. And is, is it hard to kick a gut against the pricks? You farmers know about uh, animals and you have a little sharp stick and if they kick back, that's a good way for them not to hurt you and, and to get them uh, to go forward is to use the, the goads or the pricks, the, the, kick, the pricks or the, the sharp sticks. And so he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord identified him, I, himself. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things which you are will yet be revealed to you. I will deliver you to the Jewish people from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you. And here's the crux of the gospel. And notice if you got a red letter, letter of a Bible, this is a red letter edition of the Lord Jesus is saying this. What's the whole purpose of his coming? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. He breaks the power of cancel sin. He sets the prisoner free that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith, which is in me. Of course, that's the whole point, is that we are turned from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that we receive forgiveness of sins and that we have an inheritance in heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ, because we've been set apart, we've been sanctified by our faith in him. That's the crux of the gospel, isn't it? And so we see that Paul is telling them this, and he is laying out this beautiful picture of his salvation and what God has called him to. I was called, I was commissioned, and now I'm before you because I am just doing the bidding of this person, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah that I met. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. This is the real person who died for our sins according to the scripture. And he's alive today. And he's the living savior that you were tell, talking to, uh, to Bern, that you were talking to Festus about. He didn't understand, but you do. Festus didn't understand about this Jesus, but you do. You've heard about him. And this is the whole crux of it. Fast, uh, uh, Bernice and King Agrippa, this is the crux of the gospel. Jesus came to turn you from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. Can you imagine that? One of the first things they'd have to do is disrupt their marriage. I mean, just all kinds of things that would have to happen. Now, we see that he goes on from there. And now Paul is talking again. Therefore, now notice the appeal. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not a disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that you should repent to, uh, and turn to God and do the works befitting repentance. So folks, just as I am without one plea, 
We're hearing so much today about Jesus loves you. He loves you, but you're condemned to hell until you realize you're a sinner and you need salvation and you're turning from your, your way to his way. You're turning from your darkness to his light. We cannot, I cannot, no one here can open your eyes. It's only the Lord Jesus as he calls upon you, as we preach the word and the Holy Spirit applies it to your heart. That is, if you're sensing that you are guilty of sin. Folks, that's the first step toward salvation. You must realize that you're a sinner and that you're not doing God a favor by praying to him, but that he's, but he's extending his grace and his invitation to you to come unto him, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You are heavy laden because of your sin. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. The Lord doesn't have any sin. And he will not bargain with those who do except on his terms. And so we see you turn from your sins. And he says that you should repent. Turn to God. Do the works befitting repentance. He says, for this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to do this today, I stand witnessing both to great and small. I want all of you. And now he's talking about the most powerful, and then he's talking about those servants that came in alongside him. Everybody, whosoever will. I'm preaching to everybody, including you, King Agrippa, saying no other things than, than those which the prophets. I'm just preaching the Old Testament and the fulfillment of the Old Testament in my Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that the Christ would suffer, that, he, that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer, that he would first rise, be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And that's what I'm doing. This is the Lord Jesus. He was the one you know about him dying. on the, He suffered and he died, but he rose again and he's living. And that's what Festus was concerned about. He didn't understand what I'm preaching, but you do. And then all of a sudden we see the interruption where Festus <clears throat> says, Paul, I think you're mad. He didn't understand this. Boy, this was information overload for him. He said, boy, this is more than I bargained for. Here you are preaching to these, these, this royalty and you're talking to them like you're sinners and you're a saint. Well, yeah, that's true. He was. And you're mad. You're crazy. But Paul very patiently and very, uh, very respectfully. And notice he didn't say, oh, you, you dirty, rotten sinner. No. Notice he realizes he's speaking truth to power. And he says, but Paul says to him, uh, <clears throat> he said, but he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, verse 25, but speak the words of truth and reason. I'm telling you the truth. And for the king, knows how he splits them. And he says, now he gets back to the, he goes back to Felix, or excuse me, he gets back to Agrippa and to Bernice. And he's really zeroing in on them. He says, for the king before whom I speak freely these things, for he is convinced that none of these things escapes his attention. He knows all about this. Since these things were not done in a corner. I love that. They weren't done in a corner. They were done quite openly. But yet he is cornering Agrippa 
and Bernice to make a decision. Folks, that's what the gospel does. Either you do or you don't. And it's open, but yet it puts you in a corner. Are you or are you not going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? And then he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. I know that you know this Old Testament. I know that you believe, uh, at least supernatural, superficially, these things. You, you know about the history of the Jews. And then Agrippa said that statement, that one of the most famous in the scripture. He says, Paul, almost persuaded. You've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Now, we wonder how he said it. Was he trying to fluff it off and just try to get rid of Paul because, after all, he didn't want to lose his dignity? Wouldn't it be something if Agrippa just fell down on his knees and said, Lord Jesus, forgive me as a sinner right there in the middle of everything? Wouldn't it be great if he was standing at, or in an auditorium and he came forward and he bowed his knees before the, uh, before the audience and before the Lord and asked the Lord Jesus to come into his seat? But folks, that didn't happen. And we see that Agrippa, he stands up, and when he stands, everybody stands. And he says, and Paul, of course, when he does that, he, he said, I would to God that not only you, but all those here today, there's that universal, I want everybody here. Maybe some slaves here will accept the Lord. Simply because the royalty doesn't, the glitz and the glamour, they didn't come to the Lord. I imagine there were those who did. But he says, but all who hear me this day might become both. I want them to have what I have, such as I am. Isn't that what we want, folks? Don't you want other people to have what you have? Is your salvation so precious that you really want your loved ones to have what you have? And this is what Paul is, is begging. I want you to know the joy and the thrill of knowing this Lord and Savior that we call Jesus. Except for these chains. Of course, he probably rattled the chains a little bit there. And so, boy, he throws the place in to, I mean, this is the end of court. And when he said these things, the king stood up. He had to get out of there. As well as the, of course, when he stood, then everybody else stands. And those that sat with him, and, and they were going inside. Now, here again, it's kind of like going outside of a, you know, after a church service. And the preacher has preached his heart out, wanting to see people saved. And the person's at the door saying, you know, I wonder what the bears are going to be doing today. Or I wonder how the Cubs are doing. It's like, I don't want to really talk about it. He was hit right with, I mean, he didn't, he just got up and left, trying to change the subject. But then he throws it right back on old Festus. He says, this man has done nothing deserving death or chains. So guess what, Felix, or excuse me, Festus, it's back in your court. I can't help you. And that's just like, does that sound familiar with Pilate and Herod? I can't help you. Sends him back. So I can't help you. 
And so we see now that Festus still has a problem. But the biggest problem is that he doesn't know the Lord as a Savior. And someone who has heard all the gospel, you have two people here, or two sets of people. Those who have heard the gospel over and over again and reject it. And those who have heard it for the first time and it just sends them into contortions. If all of them are in hell, who's suffering the hottest hell? Those who have been given much. Much will be required. Festus probably won't have as hot a hell. Now, there again, I'm not the judge. This is my opinion, as I said in Sunday school. Uh, So I can't tell you what God's doing because I'm not God. But in, in my mind, with what I know from Scripture... Festus won't be suffering nearly as much in, uh, in hell as Agrippa and Bernice will. Because they knew the truth. Hearing they heard not, and seeing they saw not. But they turned away from God and entered a Christless eternity where the where moth does not corrupt. And where the, excuse me, where they excuse me, where the worm never dies, let's put it that way. And so we see they're, so they're in hell today, but one's suffering a whole lot worse than another. It really makes me fearful of the people that we know. They've been Baptists all their lives. They've been Christians. You name the denomination. They have heard the gospel over and over again. They've grown up in Christian homes, and yet they've turned away from the Lord and now they want to talk about anything besides the Lord. Let's talk about uh, camping. Let's talk about the Cubs. Let's talk about don't get on Jesus. Let's not talk about religion. And they'll tell you that. The lady right now I'm dealing with, I want to, uh, and uh, she likes me. And uh, she wants, she likes to hear some of the political philosophy and church philosophy I have. But when I get on Jesus, let's get off from religion. And yet she grew up in a Christian church or in a church with her Christian father. That's great. That's concerning. And here we see just two choices, heaven or hell, accept or reject. I know that you know this, Agrippa, but the more you know, the more it condemns you of what you know. One day you're going to hear the Lord Jesus say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Oh, the great message that Paul preaches here. And it's true today, folks. It's the same message today. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. This church, this, the bride and the Spirit say, Come. Whosoever will, let him come to the Lord. Let him come and drink of the water of life freely. And folks, do we really want people to have what we have? And I close with these three questions. Am I crazy? Ask yourself that. Am I really crazy? The world thinks I am. But am I really crazy for believing what I believe? Am I cornered? Do I really believe what I say I believe? Do I really stake my whole life and eternity on this? Do I really, do I realize that repentance is a way of life 
turning from the world and turning from Satan to, to God. And am I following the Lord? <clears throat> am I, has God cornered me about sins in my life? If I am saved, then God's still working on me and I'm still repenting. Amen? Now, oh, I went to church 20 years ago, folk, and, I, oh God, and I went forward and I shook the preacher's hand and the lights just got brighter. I've had people say that. And I got baptized. Well, what has God done with you since then? Well, uh, I haven't had time. And they have no fruits of salvation. Folks, you had a religious experience. But did you truly repent and turn from your way to the Lord Jesus? Just as you are without one plea, for that is blood was shed for me. And so we see, are you cornered? As a Christian, God continually corners me. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to go my way or your way? And at times I fall, but when I do, the Holy Spirit says he convicts me of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Does he not? And he pulls me back into his fold. That's what repentance and salvation is all about, walking with the Lord. And that means, am I truly converted? If you can say that, boy, I've been a member of the church, but God has never convicted me of sin, that he's never... Uh, prompted me to do uh, to, to do his will. I've never really sensed uh, the warmth of the gospel working in my heart. Then maybe you need to check up on your salvation. Because he who, is with it, <coughs> he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day you see him face to face. <coughs> and that's what Paul told the, Corinthians, told the Philippians in chapter 1 verse 6. So God's still working on you. And you're still repenting. And he's still convicting and he's still comforting because you are a child of God. Do you really believe that or do you just think we're all crazy? Is it crazy to follow the Lord or is it very wise to follow him? And do you know him personally as your Savior? I hope you do. Whosoever will may come. Come to the Lord Jesus. You know this. Now believe it. Stake your life on it. Turn from your way to his. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that, as far as I know, everyone here in the sound of my voice or in, in my sight this morning has made a profession, has, show, has shown evidence in their lives of your salvation. But Lord, if there's someone in the sound of the marvel of, lecture, of, uh, of our technology today hearing this message they've never truly accepted you as their savior oh they've had some religious experience but nothing that has changed their lives they don't sense the holy spirit calling them they don't sense the conviction of sin oh lord jesus we pray today will be their day of salvation they may be bible scholars and yet lost on their way to hell Oh, may they turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto yourself. Lord, we pray that the message will go forth clearly and plainly and powerfully from this place. Use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.